So I want to go to Acts chapter 2 and also Colossians chapter number 1. And allow me, as you're turning to those, those verses of Scripture, 2, 1 through 4 of Acts and then 1, 25 through 27 of Colossians. What I want to preach here this morning is that um, it is possible and it is God's will for us to have an experience with God. And furthermore, an encounter with God, an enc- a real encounter with God that leads to a relationship of actually knowing God, not as some distant deities, some unknowable God. But I am so thankful today that God was manifest in the flesh, came to the earth, showed himself, did miracles, signs and wonders, teaching, transformed lives, resurrected to heaven and then poured out of his spirit so that you and I can have a real encounter, experience, and relationship with God. I got about 30% of you. We're going to work together this morning. God wants us to have an encounter with God. And uh, if you have never experienced that, it's, it's available to you. The Lord wants to show himself to you. And that, and, and the majority of, of those that are here this morning have had that in their life that God has shown himself to them. And I, I can't even tell you how thankful to God I am that he is that kind of a God, that he shows up in our lives. For me, I was counting it off this morning. It was 36 years ago in January of 1987. Some of y'all weren't even born yet. And uh, the old song says, I went to a meeting one night. My heart, my heart wasn't right, but something got a hold of me. And I had brushed up against Pentecost. I was not raised in a Christian home. I was not raised in a Pentecostal home. But I came to a little apostolic church in a converted elementary school building. And those people had something that I didn't have that I couldn't experience at a Motley Crue concert. I couldn't experience at a party getting drunk that I couldn't experience anywhere else. And it was the first time in my life that I had a genuine bona fide encounter with Jesus. And when that happened... It absolutely changed my life. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to be preaching this morning the magnificent mystery of Pentecost. The magnificent mystery of Pentecost. How many has experienced that in your life? Pentecost. Pentecost. And if you haven't, I've got good news. You can. You can. Acts 2, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. I appreciated the song that we sang earlier talking about God. Oh, fill the room. Oh, fill the room. That's what he did in this upper room. The Bible says that he filled the room where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them. And they were, can you say this together with me? All. Everybody in the room. So in case there's a question that speaking in tongues or the Holy Ghost is just for a certain select few, I want to draw your attention to the fact that the Bible says that all were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. It is my sincere prayer that in this room here, all that want the Holy Ghost, because in Acts 2, they were all there intentionally on purpose to receive the promise of the Father. They were there with that intention, because you're not going to get it if you don't want it, obviously. But if you're here and you want it, wouldn't it be a great thing if all over again before this service concluded that everybody in the room was filled with the Holy Ghost in a fresh way? And we pray that God will do that. 
Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They began to speak with other tongues. Can you read that with me? They began to speak with other tongues. Now, contrary to what many of you may have heard before, maybe you've never read it in the Bible, maybe, you know, a cousin that went to church somewhere said, you know, speaking in tongues, what is that? That's not real. That's of the devil. That's wrong. The Bible says, and they began to speak with other tongues. What does the Bible say? They spoke with tongues. So tongues is a Bible thing. The miraculous infilling of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues is a Bible thing. And I'm so thankful for that. Amen. As the Spirit gave them utterance. Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. Paul said to the Colossian church, the Colossian believers, these are Gentile folks, part of the Gentile bride of Christ, which was a miracle. Paul said, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even, notice with me, the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations. He said, this Holy Ghost thing is something that has been hidden for generations. It is a mystery. But he said, but now, you get it? It's been hidden for generations. It's been hidden for ages. But the preacher standing before them saying, but now is made manifest to his saints. I want you to know you're in on something this morning that a lot of people haven't been in on. As a matter of fact, for thousands of years. To whom 27 says, God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery, he said, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The magnificent mystery of Pentecost. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for the word, the spirit, the power of God, availability of all that you are, all you have done, and all you will do. We pray, bless this message, and knowing it, I pray faith would operate. I pray the hearts of your people would be open, touch hearts and lives, and feed us today out of the scripture, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Somebody said amen. amen. God bless you. you. may be seated. The magnificent mystery of Pentecost. It was... A uh, number of years ago, I don't remember the exact date or time uh, when I personally experienced this, but uh, I'm from Michigan, as some of you know. I'm from uh, just north of Detroit, <clears throat> and we took a vacation. My grandfather was from the UP, and if anybody from that region uh, in that area knows, the, the UP is known as the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and anybody that lives there, they call them Upers, the Upers. Uh, I could make a bunch of jokes. I probably shouldn't. It's like when you're driving through the UP, they have a sign that says, literally the sign, that's so condescending to the inhabitants of the UP that the sign says, do not pass when opposing traffic is present. I probably wouldn't have thought of that. But the, the UP, so... We took a family vacation when I was a kid to the UP, and, and uh, we went up into, if you go way up north, there's a place called Lake of the Clouds, and there's just, it's beautiful, beautiful territory and terrain. And, and as we went through there, and we were kids at the time, I was probably 11 years old, I think my sister was eight or nine years old, it's where she discovered this animal that was called a jackalope. 
which, I mean, it was like Santa Claus. She was just almost destroyed when she discovered it was not a real animal. But it was our family trip, so we're going through the, the UP and we're driving through there and it's, it's like we, we would drive along the highway there and there would be big signs that were posted. And these signs, as kids, we started to get excited about because these signs were advertising a place that you could go and visit. It was an amazing place. It was a special place. It was a place that was called the mystery spot. Anybody ever seen the mystery spot? Now, the mystery spot is not only found in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I've, so I went there as a kid, and, and years later, my son and I took a camping trip together. And I, if I recall correctly, it was South Dakota. There's a, I mean, there's like a variety of mystery spots all over the place. Now, the mystery spot, whoever's on the screen, you want to put some pictures up here. The mystery, there we have it. Changed my life. Millions of visitors, fun, fun, fun. World famous, open, rain or shine. The mystery spot, if you've ever been there, what's so strange about it, throw the next picture up there. What's so strange about it is it's, it's like mind bending. It's like gravity defying. You walk into this room and there's a person, go ahead, next picture. I think it shows a person with a picture on a chair. Nope, next one. There's a person that's sitting on a chair and it looks like they're just suspended out in the middle of nowhere. If you look at it, there's a ball that appears like it's rolling uphill. It's like, and, and you know, the way they bill it, they say there's a little piece of real estate here that's this special piece of real estate that's so special that it defies gravity. It's a special piece of real estate they bought that defies, and, and I remember as a kid looking and there's my sister and it appears like she's gonna fall over and she's you know, kind of cocked at an angle there in this, in this building. It's, it's the mystery spot. And, and I remember as a kid thinking like, you know, how in the world does, does that work? Like, what, what, what's happening here? Is this like a little piece and you know, your young imagination starts to work with you? Like, like what is it about this place that, that makes it work? I don't wanna pop your bubble. But it's an optical illusion. They, they, they have, they have a, a building that they build that's on a slight incline and they build it in such a way that it's actually the building is built sideways but there's trees around and you can't tell that so that when they then start to uh, put the, 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 the special decorations on the inside, it gives the appearance or the optical illusion like a ball is going the opposite direction and they call it the mystery spot and I don't know how many millionaires have been made because somebody just distorted objects and tricked people and, and all of that. It's, it's, it's a mystery though, it's a mystery. A mystery is something that is difficult or impossible to understand or explain. A mystery is defined as something that is strange or not known that has not yet been explained or understood. We could use words, synonyms like puzzle, enigma, a conundrum, a riddle, like I don't, I don't get that. I don't understand that. If you allow me to make a connection here, dot, 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 the connection that I'll make here this morning is that to a lot of people, when they come into contact with Pentecost, it is a mystery. Come on, look back over your shoulder. Remember the first time that you came into a Pentecostal church. Oh, yeah. 
I've been to a lot of places in life, but as a non-church goer and a non-Christian person that, that when I came into a Pentecostal church for the first time, I thought you people were whacked. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand the worship. My, my, my family started coming to church and we started going to church. I remember when my mother began to experiment with worship and I'm standing next to her and I'm 15 years old and my mother starts to lift her hand and I just felt like, man, everybody in the church is going to start looking at us. I wanted to reach over and grab her arm and push her arm down like, mom, let's not do that, okay? It was strange. It was different. It was people. You would, but, but I tell you the one thing that I discovered as an unsaved teenager when I came into a Pentecostal church, one thing that I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt was the simple fact that it was very obvious that, that to the people that were in that room that what was happening there was real. What was happening there was a good thing. What was happening there was a God thing. What was happening there obviously was a genuine thing. I, in my my brain and my head I couldn't wrap my head around it I didn't understand it but something inside of me I think in some measure said you know what I think I finally come home I think this is where I belong I there is something at work here that is real and genuine and godly and good and healthy and right and wonderful and true and while at that time I wasn't ready to embrace it but in my head I knew that I had come into contact with something that was real and I came came into contact with something that came from God. But it was a mystery. And so we have people that come to our church now and then. Now, in case you didn't know, we are in the great white north. This is Catholic land. This is Lutheran land. This, and, and people will come into our church and say, man, we don't do it like this in our church. Man, I've never seen anything like this before in my life. But I am so thankful that available to the whole world is an experience with God and a touch of God and the presence of the Lord and the anointing and the reality of God. I think everybody in the world ought to know that number one, there is a God, that number two, that God is real, and number three, that they can have an experience with that God. Oh, put your hands together. Let's magnify the Lord today. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. A mystery. So, if you'll go to the second chapter of the book of Acts, you are going to go through that chapter. And the Bible says that when they all gathered in that upper room, began to pray and worship the Lord, 50 days after Passover sacrifice, they're there, they're praying, they're worshiping, they're waiting for the promise of the Father. And all of a sudden, the Bible says, chapter 2, verse number 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. 
the inauguration day, the birth of the New Testament church. There was no church before Acts chapter number two. There wasn't a church before two. In the second chapter of Acts, the church is born. And how is it born? It's born in a fire. It's born in an experience with God. It is born when a bunch of hungry seekers are in a place where they're praying and they're worshiping and they're seeking God and they're dedicating themselves to the Lord. And as they're praying and they're seeking God, the Holy Ghost fills that room where they're at and the people that are in the room begin to spontaneously begin speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. It was a miracle. It was the first time that the Holy Ghost had been outpoured on this grand of a scale and the Spirit filled that room and then after the Spirit filled the room, the Spirit filled the people that were in the room and the people began to speak with other tongues. It was none other than the promise of the Father that God filled them with the Holy Ghost. Now it begins to get really interesting here because the Bible says from that point those people left the upper room, they came out onto the streets. And I am so thankful today. Listen up folks, this this Holy Ghost that we have is not meant to just be captured in a building. It's not meant to just stay in here. Come on somebody. It's got to get out of the church. It can't just be located in the church. And the people can't just, I mean, sometimes we wish we could, but we can't just stay in the church 24-7, 365. What God does in us, at some point we walk out onto the streets and we become witnesses for him. And the people that don't know, that don't understand, look at your life and they look at my life and they say, my goodness, something's different about them. My goodness, there's been a transformation. What in the world happened to you? How many testimonies do we have in this building of people that received the Holy Ghost and then you went back to your family and your family said, what in the world happened to you? You went back to that old friend group you used to be with and that friend group says, man, what happened to you? We knew you before, but now we see what's happened in you now. What in the world has taken place in your life? To which you can say... It's the Holy Ghost and fire that filled my life, picked me up, turned me around, washed away my sins, gave me power to live above sin, Satan, and self. It's the Holy Ghost that came inside of me. It's the power of God. It's not human goodness. It's not my ability. It's not who I am or what I've done. It's not even the XYZ label of the church that I attend. But you know what happened? The Holy Ghost came into my life. Jesus came into me in spirit form. And that spirit of Christ that's in me has absolutely changed my life. Oh, praise God. And then they look at you with their jaw on the ground and you reach down and you pick up their jaw and you pick it up and you put it back to, you put them back together again because they look at you and a lot of times, you know what's going to happen after you have an experience with God? People are going to freak out. In fact, I'm going to say this. Some of the people that couldn't give a fly and flip about you when you were on drugs, when you were in rehab, when you were mixed up, messed up, they weren't there in your life. But all of a sudden, you get the Holy Ghost. You go to that church. You speak with other tongues. All of a sudden, all the quasi-religious people that were in your life that never told you anything about God before come out of the corner warning you. You better be careful about that church. 
Where were you when I was struck out on drugs? Where were you when I was in jail? Where were you when I was messed up? You weren't there. Know what you need to say, and you don't have to have a bad attitude, but you can say, let me tell you, God did something in my life. This is Jesus. This is the Holy Ghost. This is the presence of God. God has done something in me. You want to know what's made me sober? The Holy Ghost made me sober. You want to know what's fixed my mind? The presence of God has fixed my mind. You want to know what put my marriage back together? What put my marriage back together is Jesus Christ. You want to know what's helping me to make my life work? It's God Almighty working in my life. It's God has given me something that I never had before. It's the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost. The Bible says they walked out of that upper room and they walked out of the up, that upper room. The thing is, a lot of times after we get the Holy Ghost, we expect everybody to be as excited for us as we are about what we've experienced, right? Oh, I feel like, for, you know, uh, forewarning is forearming. And sometimes you got to warn people that after you get the Holy Ghost, there are going to be people that aren't going to understand or agree with what's happened in your life. And that's okay. Because if you live for God long enough, they're going to come around. Some of you that said you were never going to go to church. Some of you that said you're never going to do that. Some of you are here this morning. I thank God for a primarily first generation apostolic church that's right here. Because it tells me that God did something for you and you and you and you and you and you and you're here today because God has showed himself to you. Even when people didn't understand what happened in your life. So let me get to the point. The point in the second chapter of Acts is you're going to hear words like this that come up over and over and over again. The Bible says they were confounded. Can I translate? They were like mesmerized, mystified, freaked out. What in the world is this? They were confounded. You have this word, they were amazed. The Bible says, after the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, when they went out into the streets, the Bible says they marveled. It says that they were amazed. It says that they, some were in doubt. Some people are going to look at somebody who's got the Holy Ghost and be like, I, I, man, I don't think so. I mean, are you, are you, they're in doubt. They're, they're critical. They're critiquing the experience of the Spirit that's been had in people's lives. That, that's what happened. Others were looking at each other and scratching their head and saying, what meaneth this? Translated like, what is this? What, what in the world is going on here? So, very candidly, I want people to walk into our church, and I hope we hear these kind of statements. Sometimes I think we're trying to shield people from the supernatural. Come on, I know what you're, I know what you're thinking sometimes because you're kind of like, you know what? I'm bringing my friend to church. It's the first time they've ever been here before. And I hope sister so-and-so doesn't do the whack-a-mole. Or I hope brother so-and-so, you know, doesn't take a too, too fast of a run around the church. Or I hope so-and-so, I hope that, I mean, we want them to see Pentecost, but I don't know that we want them to see too much of Pentecost. We want a little bit of a controlled sense of Pentecost and all that. But the Bible says what happened here was so extreme and so real that the people in the world were looking at the church and trying to figure out, like, like what is this? Like, 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 what's going on in this place? Like, what is this all about? 
In fact, some were going as far as to say, making the natural connection an allusion to the only thing that they could compare Pentecost to. And they said, well, I have seen this one other place. And that would be the bar. I have seen this one other place. That's it. We got to figure it out. These people, before they attend church, they have in the back room, they have, you know, wine and coolers and beer, and they got a fifth of Seagram's and Bacardi, and that's what, before the people come to church, that's what they do. They just, you know, sip a little bit and nip a little bit, and then they come to church. That must be, these people are drunk. You, you, You see what I'm getting at? See what I'm getting at? People aren't going to get you, and that's okay. People aren't going to get this church, and that's okay. People aren't, may, may not get some of the things that we do, and that's okay. It's okay because this is a good thing. It's okay, most importantly, because this is a God thing. Hallelujah. So how do people respond to mysteries? They look and they go, oh, that's weird. That's, that's strange. Some will mock. And we've had that happen before. People sit in the back and they're like. <laughs> Others are denying. That's not of God. Others are mesmerized like, what in the world? I've never seen anything like this in my ever living life. What, 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 what is this? And if you allow me to say it like this. People will look at the move of the Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and they'll use a word like this. That's weird. Those people are weird. That church is weird. Chez is weird. How else they? I don't know what else to say. Travis? Man, Travis is, man, what happened to Travis? Travis is weird. Like there's no car in his driveway Sunday morning and Sunday night. That's supposed to be your day off when you sleep in and watch cartoons. And he's, he, that's weird. No, that's not weird. That's spiritual. All right, let's talk about it for a little bit. The supernatural. Anybody beside me notice that there's a tremendous fascination in our world today with the supernatural? The supernatural. There's all kinds of movies that are out right now. There's all kinds of programs that are out right now. The programs, the, the I mean, I don't, man, I don't remember growing up this kind of stuff really being there. Movies, but not like, uh, you know, uh, programs that are like uh, ghost hunters. And like, like, what, in, like, can I just say this? If you're in the church, you don't ever need that baloney because that's the inferior. That's the secondary. We, we, don't, we don't go running around looking for ghosts. We don't, the, the, but, but why is it that people do that? People do that. You know why? Because there's a fascination with the supernatural. There is a fas- fascination with this. People are trying to figure it out. And, and there's a part of people that they're trying to, like, man, what's it all? This spiritism and this, this weird stuff. Why the fascination? Can I say today this isn't a new thing? It's not a new thing. Let me explain it like this. I want you to go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 23. I'll explain this. It's going to make a little sense. Because in the beginning, when God made man... 
before we think too much of ourselves, guess what? We are just a glorified mud ball. Because God formed man out of the dust of the earth, the Bible says. He formed man. Netzer, he formed man out of the dust of the earth. And then the Bible says that he... He breathed into man the breath of life. And it's like when God breathed into that, that body, that, that lifeless body that had been formed, when he, when he blew the breath of life, the, when he blew that into him, the Bible says that man became a living soul, a living soul. Because until the spirit comes into your life, you don't have life. But God breathed into man, his spirit breathed into him, and all of a sudden the soul was awakened and the eye, eyelashes begin to blink and, 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 and Adam for the first time sucked in air when God, God gave the first form of CPR in the garden and, and breathed into him. And man became a living, he's alive. And it was the breath of God that animated him. It was the breath of God that, that made him alive. It was the spirit that was in, that was put within Adam, that made Adam alive. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost now. Because it's very, very important. It's very, very important. You have body. He created the body. He breathed into him spirit. And then the Bible says he became a living soul. Can I tell you something? You don't have a soul. You are a soul. The soul that sinneth that shall die. It's, 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 it's the human personality. It's who you are. Mind, will, emotions. It's, it's the person that you really are. But you have in that garden, you have a physical body. You have a breath of the spirit. And then you have a soul. Very important. Thessalonians 5.23 says this. The very God of peace sanctify you. And if you'll notice with me in the scripture, it's W-H-O-L-L-Y. It's not H-O-L-Y. I'll say the Lord God sanctify you H-O-L-L-Y. It's not what he's saying. He's saying the Lord God sanctify you W-H-O-L-L-Y. That's holy. The God of peace wants to separate, sanctify, bless us. Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. That means completely. That means entirely. We are to be sanctified entirely. What does he say? He said, and I, I pray that your spirit, whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, your whole spirit, soul, body, that he would sanctify you wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, your whole W-H-O-L-E, spirit, soul, body. What are you saying? What I'm saying is that God made us to be body, he made us to be soul, and he made us to be spirit. Body, soul, spirit. Body, soul, spirit. We are tripart beings, and it's not enough for me just to live my life physically that's what I did as a sinner my body fully engaged this world right that's what most people do most people spend the majority of their lives contacting physical things your body so people are having fun they're dancing they're singing they're drinking they're they're working they're employing their their physical apparatus of their body their body you have the soul the soul is the mind the will of the emotions I feel like singing here today. You know, I'm a soul man. Soul man. 
Soul is mind. Some people live, they live strictly in the mental realm. They're academic. They're, 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 they're in their mind. They're thinking, which is good because that's part of what we are. The, the, the emotions, the will, the volitional part of us, the will, the, the part of us that makes decisions. It's the control box of our life, our soul. It's the emotional part of our lives. Soul. This is why when you, when you watch a sad movie, you, <laughs> you cry. Girls watch romantic movies. <laughs> and so do guys. <laughs> Some. <laughs> it's emotional. It's, 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 it's how we experience life. We have emotional moments, highs and lows. You go on your first date. It's emotional. See what I'm saying? It's emotional. What are you saying though, pastor? I'm saying that the majority of people live all of their lives experiencing two realms, body and soul, body and soul, experiences, contacting matter, fun, life, emotions, all of that. But can I say God did not just make us body and soul. He also made us spirit. Body, soul, spirit. Body, soul, spirit. I wish I had a whiteboard up here because I, I would start to quantify it. I'd start asking questions, say, okay, in your life, okay, we got percentages here. We have body, we have soul, we have spirit. Let's, let's subdivide them. Okay, how much of your life do you live just primarily physical? Probably, you know, a person can say, well, probably 50%. Okay, soul, emotional, just the soulless part, all 49%. How much of your life is actually spiritually dominated? How much of your life is spiritually led? If you, if you were to do random on the street, interviews with common, regular, normal people and you were to ask that question, I'm telling you the majority of people out of 100%, probably 99.9% of their life it's all about the physical, it's all about the soul, it's all body that's why our world is so mixed up today church our world is mixed up. I'm preaching to a post-COVID congregation. I'm preaching to a post-COVID world. We got a world that's got emotional issues. They've got mental issues. There's brokenness. There's psychological issues. There's broken families and broken hearts. And do you know why? Because just by living for the body and the soul is never going to satisfy. It's never going to be enough. It's never going to scratch where you itch. You can do enough drugs to get high and never come down to planet Earth. You can drink enough alcohol alcohol to just soar to the planets and at the end of the day when you come off of the wagon you know what you're going to say man that didn't scratch where I itch that didn't satisfy where I live because God made us to be body soul and spirit and can I say this this morning that there comes a point in time when somebody comes in to the presence of God for the very first time and they walk into the church and they've lived physically and they've lived emotionally but when they come into the church and they feel for the first time in their life, the presence of Jesus Christ, something deep within them awakens, something that's deep within them says, for the first time in my life, I found something that's real. Because most people do not feed nor care for their spirit. Most people have lived their whole lives. They've never fed their spirit. 
I'm not saying that as an accusation here today. If you're here today and that's you, I'm not pointing my finger at you. The majority of the time, it's out of absolute abject ignorance. I didn't know, DeAndre. When I was in the world, I didn't even know there was this. I didn't know about this. I didn't know about you people. I didn't know about Holy Ghost. I believed in God, but I didn't know about this. And then one day, I came into a church where there was this. And that there was a part of me, there was a part of me that that part of me had never been touched before. The spirit, the spiritual part of me. I mean, you could massage my mind. I've been academic. I've done this. I've done physical things. I try all that stuff. I'd, and, 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 and folks, there's a whole world out there that they're saying, you know what? There's a part of them that's saying, feed me, feed me. There's a part inside of them. I feel like saying this to someone. You're witnessing and you're reaching out to people. You have to have a powerful confidence in the power of your God as you're reaching for souls. Come on, somebody. When you're reaching for souls, you have to have a powerful confidence in the God that you're representing. That the God that you're representing somehow or another will with his spirit reach in and touch that inner secret mysterious part of the spirit of mankind that nothing else has ever touched before. Because at the end of the day, we are living in a world where people are starving to death spiritually. A person can have an atlas body. A person can have muscle on their muscles. Uh, but when you, if you were to be able to, if you could do a cross section and you could look at them and do a CAT scan and you could see their spirit, there's this little shriveled up thing that's inside of them that's virtually never been fed all of its life. And all of a sudden, for the first time in that person's life, they walk into a church where the presence of God is. And that little part of them, for the first time in their life, they feel God. They feel the presence of God. They feel the power of God. They feel the witness of the Spirit for the first time in their life. And we wonder why. We don't wonder. We actually know. We know the reason why. We know why that person comes in. Do you know how many people I've talked to that they're not members of this church that will come here and visit this church and they say this is their testimony. As soon as I walk in the doors of the church, the tears just begin to start flowing down my face. As soon as I walk in, I can, as soon as the song begins, to get, I, 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 I can't help it. I, I just, I, I, we've had people that show up and they leave because they can't, they just, they, they can't control it. They can't, what, what, are you, what are you saying, Pastor, on the day of Pentecost? What I'm saying is there is a mysterious inner hunger in the heart of every single human being. It's called spirit. It's spirit. God made us body, soul, spirit, and we live our whole lives in two dimensions. And there's a third dimension, and the third dimension is called Pentecost. The third dimension is the outpouring of the Spirit. The third dimension is the presence of God. The third dimension is this mysterious, wonderful, powerful, awesome presence of God. Hallelujah. Let's magnify the Lord this morning. Let's thank God. Oh, let's thank God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 
And what I am proposing to this church right here in a small little town in northern Minnesota, what I am proposing to this church, what I am proposing is that we, it's a, a, what we are a part of is a three-legged stool. We are apostolic. Somebody say apostolic. We are apostolic in doctrine. Come on, somebody. That means we believe what this Bible says, what the apostles taught, and we love it, live it, and experience it. We are apostolic in doctrine. Secondly, the second uh, leg of that three-legged stool is that we are Pentecostal, unashamedly. We are Pentecostal. We are Pentecostal. Now, Pentecost is not our brand. Pentecost is not what's on our church sign. Pentecost is the experience of the infilling of the Holy Ghost as evidenced by speaking in other tongues on what happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter number two when the church came alive and the church was born and those disciples spoke in tongues and went out into their world spreading Holy Ghost apostolic gospel fires all over their then known world until they said in Acts 17 and 6 that they which have turned the world upside down have come hither. There they are. The Pentecostals are coming. The Pentecostals are coming. The Pentecostals are coming. And when the Pentecostals come, they're bringing Jesus with them. They're bringing the Holy Ghost with them. They're going to bring riot or they're going to bring revival. They're going to bring community change. They're going to bring transformation. When they come in the power of God's spirit, things are going to begin to change and happen. And that's who we are. We are apostolic in doctrine. We are Pentecostal in experience. And we are Christian in lifestyle. In other words, we pattern our life after Jesus Christ. We want to live like him, walk like him, talk like him, be like him in this world. We are Christian in lifestyle. That is what we have got to have. And I'll just, I'll just tell you this. God reserves the right to blow your puny little mind Anytime he so chooses. We, we don't back up from that. In fact, I'll just say this. <clears throat> God forbid we ever stop leaning upon that. We have to have the move of the Spirit. There is no substitute for, for the Holy Spirit of God. There's no substitute for that. And all of a sudden, I believe there are times that God delights and blowing your mind. Because you need to know that you know that you know that you know that you know. This can't just be your daddy's religion. This can't just be your granddaddy's religion. I mean, if you're second, third, fourth generation, thank God for that. But I'm so thankful that it is relevant and pertinent for the here and the now, that you can have a present experience with God so that you can know that you know this same Jesus that your daddy and your granddaddy and your great-granddaddy lived, loved, and preached maybe. We all have to have it for ourselves. But the natural mind doesn't get it. So if you're here and you're like, hmm, I don't know about that, you're in good company. Corinthians 2.13, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. 
This is why the natural man, there's a natural part of humanity. There's a a natural carnal part of us that when God does his thing, the natural human being goes like, what? Like for real? Like, I I mean, really? Is that real? Is that? Because there's an inquisitive part. The natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit, but oh, there's something deep down inside of you called your human spirit. And your human spirit, when it comes into contact with God's spirit, there's something inside of your human spirit that says, oh, I think I'm home now. I think I'm home now. I think I'm right where I belong. Mm. And I thank God we've got some guests. And the thing is, you're a guest for the second or third or fourth time. And after that, we're just going to envelop you as a part of us. And some of you can't help but coming back again and again and again. I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to proclaim the reason why you keep coming back. The reason you keep coming back is there's something in your spirit that's saying, this is what I've longed for my whole life. This is what I wanted my whole life. And I found what my soul and what my spirit needs. Praise God. Well, I better get to my message. <laughs> that was all introductory. The Bible teaches that there are seven New Testament, they are called mysteries, seven mysteries in the New Testament, seven of them. There's the mystery of godliness, 1 Timothy 3.16. There's a mystery in Ephesians 5 of the body of Christ. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak of you concerning the church. In Romans 11.25, he says, blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. He calls that a mystery. The rapture of the church in Corinthians 15, 51, he said, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or slumber. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and he talks about the rapture of the church being a mystery. There's the mystery in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 7. He calls it the mystery of iniquity doth already work. The mystery of iniquity. The mystery of godliness is that God would become a man. The mystery of iniquity is that a man would try to become God, i.e. the Antichrist. The mist, these were New Testament mysteries. In Revelation 17 and 5, there's the mystery of Babylon the Great. Mystery, Babylon the Great. There are seven New Testament mysteries. And I read to you in the very beginning of the message here, the mystery that we're talking about on this Sunday morning, Colossians 1 and 26. He says, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations. He said, there is a mystery that has been hidden. The mysteries of the New Testament, they are not something. So don't let anybody confuse you when they inaccurately quote scriptures and say, great is the mystery of godliness. In other words, i.e., you can never understand who God is at the end of the day. He's an unknowable Trinitarian being. And so great is the mystery. You could never know him. See that scripture there says he's a mystery. Listen, every single New Testament mystery was not something that was unknowable. It was a ministry mystery that had been previously unknown until that period of time when God illuminated and God revelated and God showed the church uh, the mystery that had been hidden for generations and thousands of years uh, that no one knew about when God says, now I'm going to unveil the mystery. Now in the New Testament, we ought to thank God today that we're a part of the church of the living God, that we have understanding, revelation, and insight into things that people did not have insight into for thousands of years years you ought to thank God today for what you you know you ought to collectively now and then go wow wow 
I know we get used to it after a while. I mean, we've been around long. We're like, oh, we've been around this for a while. But every once in a while, you need to get punch drunk. It's like God just hits you and you go, wow, the mystery, the mystery. You know what that means? They didn't, oh, God, help me to preach this right. The Bible goes far as, as far in Peter, the first chapter, Peter says, he starts talking about the Holy Ghost and he talks about the Spirit of God and he says, which things the angels des desire to look into. Do you know that what you have in the Holy Ghost, uh, angels are inquisitive. Angels are looking and going like, man, what is, man, what is that? Like, I mean, I guess we, they probably theologically know, but they can't experientially know. They can't know what you know. It's the mystery. It's the mystery that we know now you say pastor what is the new testament mystery you're preaching about the mystery that paul was preaching about he says to whom god would make know what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the gentiles comma which is drum roll please I'm fixing to blow up here behind this pulpit which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, Christ in me. Jesus Christ, not with me, but Jesus Christ in me. Jesus Christ not just walking alongside of me. Jesus Christ indwelling me. His presence. Jesus in me. Christ in me. The hope of glory. Jesus. It's the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost, folks. You know the hope of glory? Listen, you're not going to heaven because you're a great big five-star trophy-bearing Christian. You're not going to heaven because you're just goody-goody and you're so good. You're not going. You're going to heaven because God gave you of his spirit and his spirit is working on the inside of you, convicting and blessing and training and teaching and walking and talking and guiding and leading and filling and blessing and helping and walking with you every step of the way. Christ in me. Jesus is in my life, working his way outside of my life. You don't get holy by following a set of rules. You'll never become holy enough. We couldn't give you a checklist long enough for you to say, I'm going to do that, check, did that, check, did that, check, now I'm holy. You can't know. It is an impartation of none other than the nature of God himself. When you get the Holy Ghost, you get Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yes, Hallelujah. Holy Ghost, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. It's Christ in you. You realize if you've got the Holy Ghost, you spoke in tongues, you've got Jesus living inside of you. Jesus is on the inside. When I was a brand new convert, a good old Brother Hill, Elder Brother Hill, 
that wonderful old man of God, the founding pastor of that church, he would sing those old songs and he'd sing songs like, Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. That's what I cut my teeth on. Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. It's Jesus was on the inside. I am standing here today whole, healthy, right with God and blessed because the Holy Ghost is in me. It's Christ inside of my life manifesting on the outside. Anything good I have in me comes from him working in and through me. We might as well empty our spiritual trophy cases because we got no right to brag or to glory in anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ who is in me and he's in you and he's helping us to be what he wants us to be. It's the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit. The magnificent mystery of Pentecost is the Holy Ghost. The magnificent mystery of Pentecost is the Holy Ghost inside of you. My brother, the Holy Ghost inside of you. Jesus said, I want to live inside of you. And I'm going to help you. I'm going to fill you. I'm going to empower you. Amen. Watch John 14 and 16. And I will pray the Father. Listen to Jesus. Who's saying these words? Jesus is. I will pray the Father, Jesus says, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Guess what? When God gives you the Holy Ghost, he doesn't give you the Holy Ghost so that he's going to leave you. He wants to be in your life forever. If you sin, you ought to thank God that the Holy Ghost does not immediately depart or he'd be coming and going an awful lot. But he's going to convict. He's going to perfect. He's going to work in you. He doesn't immediately just vacate the premises. We ought to thank God for that. But he'll work with you. He'll kick your tail. Yeah, he will. He'll convict you. He'll kick your butt. Say, come on, don't do that. That's your Holy, your holy Ghost. Yeah, I tell you what my Sunday school teacher used to teach me when I was 16 years old. My Sunday school teacher taught me. She said, there are some places you don't take your Holy Ghost. Don't you take your Holy Ghost there. Don't you take your Holy Ghost into that, that sick, decrepit environment. You don't you go. That, that, you got the Holy Ghost. Don't you take your Holy Ghost there. She taught me well. I don't take my Holy Ghost some places. Amen. The Holy Ghost is inside of me. He said, he shall give you another comfort that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But Jesus said, but you know him for he dwelleth with you. Jesus said, you know the Holy Ghost because he's with you. (laughs) I'm just resisting every temptation to preach a oneness message right now because we'd be here five hours. Jesus said, he's with you. Here I am. He's with you and shall be in you. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, I, Jesus Metaphor, I, Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. He said, I will come to you. Come on, somebody. 
Remember the mystery, which is, it doesn't say the second or third person in the Trinity comes and lives in you. The mystery doesn't say another person of God comes to live in your body. The mystery says that Christ comes to live in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus said in John 14, he said, I will come to you. I, I, he, said, he said, I shall be in you. He said, he dwelleth with you. He's walking with you, but he shall be in you. That's why Romans 8 says, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his because when you get the Holy Spirit you get the Spirit of Jesus Christ when you get the Holy Ghost you get Jesus Christ living inside of your life in spirit form clap your hands under the Lord praise God praise God praise God praise God praise God and you got to have it what a wonderful thing this is all right, I'm going to come to a close. Here's my little illustration I'm going to give you, all right? Throw that, that video up there, would you? I'm going to introduce you to the aqua thruster. Help me out. This is the aqua thruster. Wake up, scream people. No, just kidding. It's a video. There's a little video clip. The aqua thruster. This is the aqua thruster. Isn't that powerful? That is a one that is a one horse motor. There's a big motor and it's got these lines that go up and it's got a programmable head on the top of it and it rotates. And in and when that you set the timer, that thing will will it's one horse of just a stream of water that starts flowing and then every couple minutes it moves. You say, "Well, why the aqua thruster?" Because the area along our, our lakefront there has a lot of muck in it, a lot of muck. And I don't know about you, I'm creeped out about muck. I'll swim over it, but I will not walk through it because it creeps me out. There's leeches and there's creatures and there's muck and there's mush. And you walk in there and it squishes between your feet and you walk out and you got a bunch of leeches clinging. It's just creepy. It's creepy. You walk through that and it's just mucky. But do you know they've, they've created a solution to muck? And by the way, in case you're wondering, it's a legal solution. So don't go look me up on the DNR and turn me in, people. No, it's legal. Because you know why? It's a natural flow of water. And it pushes all this water. And you let that thing run for about eight hours in the same spot, you know what it begins to do? The testimonies are such that there are people that have, around their dock area have two or three feet of muck. But when the aqua thruster shows up, it start, you know what creates muck? Once that stuff starts to build up or algae builds on the surface, guess what? No oxygen gets in there. Oh, come on, you people, you, you, got to, you got to roll with me here. It doesn't breathe. There's no life in there. And when there's no life, it produces this goo and this muck. And then the, the less oxygen that gets down there, the more and more it grows until it's nothing but deadness. There's no life there. There's nothing good there until the aqua thruster shows up. And when the aqua thruster shows up, a stream of water It starts to move across that muck and it starts aerating that area and it starts pushing it and it starts bringing life to it. 
and it oxygen begins to flow and it pushes that away and the testimonies of those that have had two or three feet of muck in just a short matter of time with the acrothrust thruster moving the water over that place uh, it'll completely clear out a beach area until it's just beautiful sand clean life-giving healthy good I introduce you to the aqua thruster in that last day the great day of the feast Jesus stood and cried saying if any man thirst let him come unto me and drink he that believeth on me Jesus said as the scripture has said out of his belly shall flow an aqua thruster out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water well, what's he talking about? But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. God said, you know what I'm going to do? He said, I'm going to put in you an effervescent well. And it's going to get the crud out of your life. Oh, yeah. I got good news for somebody. Oh, Jesus. I want to talk to somebody here. I want to talk to a frustrated person. I want to talk to a person that's like, you know what? My life just stinks. My life just, it smells. I, you know, I've tried and I try to be good and I try to do good. And, and if I do good for a little while, but I end up back in that same predicament that I've been in. And, and I say, I'm not going to do that anymore. And I end up back there. And I may be talking to somebody, you don't attend church here. And you've, you're like, you know, I believe in God, but, but, but I, I've tried and my life just hasn't come together. Can I introduce you to the aqua thruster? Because we all have a residue of mess in our life, especially before we met Jesus Christ, just muck. And that was me. That was me. When I came to God, my head was wrong. My heart was wrong. My life was wrong. Everything about me was wrong. But you know what? Jesus... He filled me with the Holy Ghost. And he put that aqua thruster in my life. And it starts springing up. It never lasts. Springing up. David Ladiff, you were absolutely correct in what you said here this morning. What you said is you have to stir up the gift. You have to stir it up. Because you know what happens if the spirit's not flowing in your life, all of that residue just floats to the bottom. If you don't have a move of God in your life, you stop going to church, you stop prayer, you just... And all of a sudden, the natural part of you just comes alive and the muck starts to grow. There's not life there. But oh, I've got good news. One touch of God's spirit in your heart can start to stir all that stuff up, clear stuff out, clean stuff up. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. Stand together with me this morning. I feel the Holy Ghost here today.